Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Call Talk for Wednesday, October 28th. Our topic today is service level. Does the old 80-20, 80% of calls handled in 20 seconds, simply <coughs> apply to everyone? Uh, during the call, we invite you to ask questions via email at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com or call and ask your host your questions and interact with the show. The number to call in is 347-857-3117. Everyone who asks a question via email or phone on the show will receive a free copy of Bruce's book, Benchmarking at its Best, and one person will be chosen at random to win an in-depth reality check report valued at $1,500. And now I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfure. Hey, Sean. Well, thank you very much, and welcome back to our listeners of Call Talk. And uh, our listeners, as you know, chose today's topic, which is uh, average speed of answer or in service level. Uh, these are really the granddaddy of, of all metrics. And uh, again, does the old 80-20 rule still roll? And Sean, interestingly enough, over the weekend I was with my mom in New England and setting up her um, uh, telephone system there so that she could have uh, an answering machine. And at a certain point, the instruction book asked me whether it should be two rings four rings or six rings. So I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, what should your service level be? And she said, Bruce, I got about halfway through your book and couldn't read it anymore, so I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, besides, I'm retired now. You're serving me. <laughs> and of course, that I think is the way that most of our uh, customers think about it. There's a certain tolerance that they have in terms of those little rings, and then afterwards they uh, they get kind of frustrated with us. So. Uh, this is a metric that uh, we did a, some research on. We found uh, a lot of variation, people who are still very much attached to this metric and other people who um, are at the other end of the spectrum and just feel that the metric is not worthwhile anymore, and uh, just about everything in between. So I'm really excited today to be uh, talking about this with my guest, Adam Sinkowski. And Adam has a ton of experience in this area. He is the uh, Senior Director of Workforce Management for United Health Group currently. He has opened, operated uh, call centers, and the consultant for call centers was also formerly the Director of uh, Customer Center Workforce Operations at the Carlson Group. So I'd like to, uh, to welcome Adam Sinkowski. Thanks for having me, Bruce. I really am excited to be here. Okay, great. And uh, let's see, Adam, there's a little bit of uh, disturbance with your sound quality there, so anything we can do to just uh, set up, appreciate it. Anyway, okay. Adam, if you could give us your overview of this uh, venerable metric uh, from your, your experience and, and the pros and the cons as you see them, I think that would be a great place to start. Well, I think the, the first thing I would say about any metric, but especially so with service level or average speed of answer, is metrics are a, a great thing to have in a contact center, and we're such a data-driven industry. And of course, you know, being someone that works in workforce management, I love numbers, but I think they can mislead us as well as lead us. And, I, and this metric in particular needs to be put into context with other things that affect um, the viewpoint of our contact center and whether we're successful or not. 
So for a lot of industries, that might include things like first call resolution, um, average handle time, all kinds of other metrics that importantly show the health of our organization and whether we're achieving the outcome. Um, things like uh, customer satisfaction uh, would be one that I would definitely throw in that mix. So it's a great metric. It's important. We need it for planning purposes. But it needs to be put into context to really uh, maintain the value that we want it to have. Right. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the uh, context with customer satisfaction and how somebody with a, an advanced center or someone who aspires to have an advanced center might be able to actually figure that out. I mean, uh, if you have a real-time or near-real-time customer caller satisfaction measurement system, um, how might you be able to play with your service levels and uh, figure out what kind of impact this has on caller set and, and, and ultimately loyalty? Well, I think that no matter how we view a contact center and view the results and how consistent we are in producing those results, we have times where we don't achieve perhaps um, our 80-20 target or our 80-30 target. Um, and during those times, if we're consistently measuring customer satisfaction, we can start to plot out how does that satisfaction correlate to the service level we're achieving at that time. So we might look at a day where we didn't come close to our 80-20 service level. Maybe we answered 80% within 60 seconds. And we could take a look at that and say, what impact did that have on the customer satisfaction surveys that day? As well as, how did that impact other things that we might care about, like call abandonment rate, especially in an environment where it's a sales or a revenue producing environment. We don't want to miss out on opportunities. So how does that longer service level um, that we achieved impact those other critical metrics? And if we can correlate those results and look at you know, the impact that we have on our customers at that point, I think we can better understand what our options might be for setting a target. Mm -hmm. Okay, and let, let's talk about that abandonment rate thing too, because that's something that uh, comes up in when we teach the College of Call Center Excellence. Comes up pretty often. One of the exercises that we go through is a uh, call value exercise. Uh, there's oftentimes many call center managers who have never um, figured out what the value of an average call is, and uh, this is even in those cases where they do order taking, etc. And so uh, maybe you could just talk us through the things that you need to do on that side. Because if you have uh, you know, uh, a, a calculated value per call, uh, that will have an impact really on your desire or not desire to have abandons, right? Right. right. Uh, and and uh, the exercise, in fact, we do uh, shows that in a high-value environment, you really want to be highly staffed so that you actually have very good service level and very low abandon uh, because each one of those abandons is really a lost revenue opportunity. Um, yeah, can, can you tell us a little bit about your experience in, in that area? And that, that's probably a good takeaway for everybody on the phone. If you don't know what your average value of call is, assuming there's any revenue associated with the calls that you get, uh, something that you should calculate. Um, anything you'd like to mention on that, Adam? 
Well, you know, we talk specifically in the easiest place that applies um, are in industries that are sales or revenue-generating environments. But um, working in healthcare, for instance, every call has a value related to the services that are delivered. And so even though it's not a matter of generating revenue, but rather a matter of delivering value to the people that we serve, it's important to us to understand what's the cost of going after that one next call. So what we're really saying is a higher service level target means a higher cost to achieve it. In other words, more available time for our frontline staff. And so being able to put that in the context of answering more calls and what's the benefit uh, generated to the organization or to the end consumer by us answering those calls rather than not staffing another person um, for the frontline staff. Having that comparison and understanding that really opens up uh, a great discussion about how should our contact center be staffed and how should our targets be set. Mm, yeah, excellent. And one of the things I'd like to underline because I, I see this all the time is that sometimes people who don't have revenue producing calls or who may not even be in the for-profit sector, they may be government or nonprofit call centers, and I'm sure we have numerous of those on the, uh, on the line right now. The going through the exercise of figuring out value per call, uh, whatever that means, is still very, very useful to you and helps you understand what your staffing level should be and what your uh, service level should be. And um, uh, if you have any questions on that, that's the kind of thing that we help people out with all the time. Or if you have enough courage to uh, you know, go to somebody in the finance area of your organization, befriend them and uh, say, you know, I'd like a little bit of help in figuring some of this stuff out, then that could be a very useful, uh, very useful uh, initiative and ultimately have major benefit for your operation and your organization overall. Right. So, uh, I, think, I think if I can just add one thing, because it brings up a great topic, Bruce, is those folks that we would be getting information from, like the finance organization or the sales organization, helping us understand the value of those calls, we can also share information back with them at the end of the day to say, here's what the cost is then for going at a different service level target. Here's the, the cost of staffing our contact center to meet those different service level targets because it's been my experience that very often we almost go with tradition when it comes to contractually set service level targets or average ticket answer targets. And so um, we might not be looking at it from a cost-benefit standpoint when we're, when we're producing new sales or um, you know, re-upping contracts at the end of the year. Well, that, that, that's for sure. And uh, in this uh, research that we did, the one-minute survey, uh, there were numerous people who got back to us and said, well, we have a uh, service level agreement that says that we have to do 80-20 or 80-30, whatever it happens to be. And so that's what we have to toe the line on. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, Sean, I guess you've got a question there from one of our listeners. Yes, I have an email question. Um, uh, does an excessive interest in speed to answer service level lead to other quality problems? That was from Larry. Mm. Okay, what do you think about that one, Adam? Well, I think it's, it kind of goes back to the opening uh, of the show when we talked about keeping it in context. I think um, the question, as I hear it, to me implies that there's a focus so much on that one metric that invites the ignoring some of the other things that really indicate the full health of our contact center performance. 
So if we're just looking at service level or average speed of answer, we're not taking in the full picture of how we're impacting uh, the people that we try to serve. Right. There was one of the uh, respondents, in fact, to the uh, one-minute survey who's, who says, uh, here I'm quoting, the organization, my organization believed ASA was the critical metric until we proved that FCR, which is first call resolution, was what our dealers wanted. ASA is our key speed of service indicator, but we also look at call quality and customer satisfaction with the call. So I think that, uh, yeah, in other words, uh, putting it in context, not, not sort of uh, putting it under the rug, but balancing it and putting it in context uh, so that our ultimate goal, which is really good customer service and uh, providing that service at a reasonable cost and with uh, good workforce management are, are, are all taken into account. Um, great. Sean, I, I, I see that you have plenty of questions here, so why don't we go on to the next one? Okay. Uh, the next question comes from Tom. What does Q wait time erode positives of SCR? Okay, could you just repeat that once? It, it says, when does Q wait time erode positives yep. of FCR? Okay. Uh, when does Q wait time er erode positive first call resolution? So, okay, I think I know what uh, he may be referring to, and that is that if we're trying to keep that service level in gear. In fact, I'm sure this is what he's saying because I've seen it a million times. I'm sure Adam has too. Okay, you've got people who uh, in their call centers say, we have to adhere to this service level. So what happens is people are on the phone. They are uh, servicing their customer, and they see up on the board that uh, the queue is getting longer and longer, and the average speed of answer, the service level, is getting out of whack. And so the hammer comes down. And you have to pick up the new call, which means that you have to hang up on the call that you're with. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to rush somebody off the phone, then at that point you're impairing your first call resolution. Right. Uh, why? Because they're going to have to call back. Those people who you rushed off the phone are not going to have gotten what they needed. So, Adam, why don't you uh, comment on that, what uh, the dynamic that perhaps you've seen in, in call centers on that? Yeah, I think that's just such a great question because, again, we're looking at more things than just average speed of answer or service level. But we can get focused on managing those things to the detriment of what we're really trying to achieve. And, and I'll throw in there uh, a focus on average handle time can produce the same type of um, miss when it comes to first call resolution. So if we're focused on achieving an average handle time target, people can get there um, in ways that we would never foresee that we would want them to or if we put the, the board up in our contact center to show queue conditions and we do that to inform our folks as to maybe how they should behave, they might behave in ways that we hadn't anticipated, like cutting off services or rushing to get off the call so they can get to the next one. And while that might produce a good service level result or a good uh, uh, result with regard to an average handle time target, it's not meeting the needs of the people that we're trying to serve. And so ultimately, if we're monitoring first call resolution, then we'll see that show up in that, um, that metric, that key metric. And again, that just speaks to the idea that we need a balanced approach, not one key metric, but multiple key metrics. Right, right. And I think uh, there is something to the fact that when you are the granddaddy of metrics, there's a reason why. One of the reasons is, uh, first of all, the call center sector, which is 
pretty new. I mean, uh, basically, if you look over the last 20, 30 years, it's come from nothing to being, uh, uh, what, employing about uh, 3 to 4% of the U.S. working population at this point. So mm-hmm. the, it's grown explosively is really the right word. And, and uh, back in the day, uh, there just weren't as many metrics readily available. Um, and uh, the easiest one to get off of your uh, ACD was this, you know, service level and, and, and an average speed of answer. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you can understand why there's still a lot of respect for the, uh, for the agent here, but <laughs> I think you're right. The rest of the family has to be taken into consideration, so you need to look at all of those other metrics as well. Right, and and I think those are important, you know, first call resolution and call quality and those things, but still, the number one expectation of most callers is be accessible, be available, and uh, with that in mind, it, it still emphasizes that it is an important metric that we need to have some line of sight to. Right, accessibility, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Sean, do you have another one for us? Uh, yes, uh, this question is uh, an email question from Jane. Um, how do you suggest determining the value of the call when you have mixed call types? Some generate revenue and others don't. For example, in a financial, in a financial industry where there are general inquiries versus a funded loan. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to start on that one, Adam, and then you can take over? Sure, that sounds good. Okay, well, the, the first thing, Jane, that, first, it's a great question uh, because so many of us have different questions in, that come into the uh, call center, different types of calls. Uh, the first way to try to tease things out is to use uh, your IVR to, to, to establish different cues that, in fact, are for different purposes. So somebody coming in, uh, having a need which could result in revenue, going into a, a specific queue, that queue can be analyzed on its own, almost as though it's its own call center, and uh, the um, average uh, speed of answer, the average uh, handle time, and, and the value of that call can all be uh, determined through the use of really good routing. So I, I suggest that is uh, one thing to do is to, to basically piece things out by uh, the, different, uh, the different routing in your system. Um, and uh, beyond that, I'll, I'll toss it over to you, Adam. Do you have any other ideas on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way to go about segregating your call volume and understanding your mixture of different types of calls. If that's not possible, um, I would assume that that mix, while from day to day or, or hour to hour, is going to change over time. I would think we would arrive at a fairly constant mix of revenue-generating calls versus non. So if we're able to look at our call volume and look at the revenue that's generated from those calls and assume that mix stays the same, we can still attach a value to just incoming calls. So whether they're revenue generating or not, we can assume that the next call waiting has a certain amount of revenue associated with it. So in other words, there's always a chance that it's a non-revenue generating call, and there's always a chance that it is, and so we have to treat it with the, the appropriate value associated. So really it's total you know, revenue generated divided by total calls to get a, a, a value associated with that mix. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you're at the roulette table, you know, and you're putting on red or you're putting on black, and it could come up either way. But uh, you have to to treat it. You have to basically come up with an average that uh, allows you to uh, to satisfy the customer and figure out uh, what the impact might be on your your um, on your organization. So okay. right, and tracking that over time again, you know, making sure that we have a line of sight to that uh, gives us a, a good idea of if conditions are changing or caller. Uh, 
uh, behavior is changing over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Uh, okay, uh, Sean, do you have another question there? Uh, yes, this email question is from Gisela. <clears throat> Our IVR answers all calls as long as uh, circuits are available. Customers indicate what they are calling about and then conduct some self-service after or during which they may then select to speak to an agent. When you are measuring the 80-20 at the onset of the call or after the customer has maneuvered through the IVR and then selected to speak with an agent and indicate his or her skill routing choice, so when would you measure the 80-20 is the, the overall question. Okay, so in other words, at what point in the uh, process uh, in your system, uh, Adam, does the uh, 20 seconds begin, I guess, would be the, uh, the question. Right. Yeah, and I, I think the, the simple answer to that is as soon as the call is available to be answered. So if we're playing between the IVR and the time that the call makes it to the queue, if we're playing announcements or music or something that prevents us from even answering that in those seconds, then the clock should not start. So really the clock should begin, and typically this happens when a call is put into a queue, the clock begins ticking then, and that's when we measure the service level. So that clock starts because we have the opportunity to answer the call at that point. Okay. Actually, that is a, it's a great question, Gisela. We did get uh, some similar uh, questions or comments on the research uh, uh, one-minute survey that we did where people were asking, you know, how it how that should be handled. And I'd just like to add uh, one other thing, and that is when we're thinking about this from a metric point of view, one way is to think about it the way Adam indicated, which is at what point are our agents really able to get the call or take the call, or would they be able to take the call? And it's from that point, uh, in other words, you've gone through the IVR, you push your button, and then you go into queue, and that's when the clock starts ticking. Uh, the other way to look at it is, well, from the caller's point of view, when does it begin from, from their sense of the whole uh, operation? I think in most cases, though, they're the same thing because people are used to sort of coming into a, uh, an IVRQ. They know that there is something that they have to do in order to route the call. Whether they think of it that way or not, they're used to having to do it. And uh, the, the size begin, you know, the sort of the fidgeting begins after that, because after that, uh, they're no longer active. They're sitting there waiting. So I, I don't think, uh, although there is a, it's always good to look at it from the customer's point of view, the caller's point of view, I think uh, what Adam has outlined is still, uh, is still valid. Adam, do yeah. you have anything to add to that? I think that you're, you're, you really put a good uh, perspective on the overall uh, question because now we're getting back to the caller experience, which ultimately rules the day. And so we might look at some other metrics rather than a service level at that point to understand, well, how long does it take a caller to finally get through to the point where they can say, yes, I wish to speak to somebody. And understanding that metric and then going after a different solution rather than um, a staffing solution, which service level normally would, would indicate, um, really is a, a great way to not just focus on service level, but really focus on the customer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Uh, good question, Gisela. Uh, let's see, do we have a, another one, Sean? Uh, yes, we have uh, another question from Larry, email question. How would you value service-only industries, no sales involved, just expenses? Okay, so that's going back, I think, to the value of the call 
and if it's uh, service only and there's no uh, actual revenue that can be tied to it, you may not be able to do the calculation. Um, and so in that case, uh, you don't really have that lever available to you in terms of coming up with analyses that you can uh, put before senior management. Um, just make sure that that is the case. We go into a lot of centers where we find out that they could be doing some cross-selling or up-selling uh, in the right way, and they aren't doing it, but they could be. So um, you know, basically, there are two parts of that question. One is, or two answers to, to that question. One is, uh, not every situation, every call center, uh, every opportunity is going to be one where there is a revenue opportunity uh, attached to it. So you may not be able to do that uh, that, that analysis. Um, and the second uh, is, do check it though, because there may be a revenue opportunity lurking there that you haven't looked at before. And uh, there's, there's one quote that I'd like to make uh, from somebody who I knew in England who once said that, uh, Bruce, cross-selling makes for cross-customers. And so you do have to be a little bit careful of it. But what we found is that uh, the cross-sell and upsell uh, for somebody who's coming in for a pure uh, customer service call it can, in fact, be something that is appreciated by the caller if, in fact, it's useful to the caller. So we're getting a little bit off topic here, but uh, if, for instance, you're calling in and it's uh, to service a, a warrant, it's a warranty service type situation. And uh, in fact, you have in your quiver of products a, a warranty, extended warranty uh, offering. Well, you know, you may in fact be doing a service to that customer by letting them know that they could uh, uh, they could get an extended warranty. Uh, Adam, anything to add to that? Well, I think that's a great answer, Bruce. I don't, I don't really have much to add to that other than saying, well, it, you know, in the scenario like that, first and foremost, we can understand at least our cost per call. Um, and then working with the rest of the organization, put that in the context of setting budgets. So while they may help understand, you know, intrinsically then the value of servicing callers, um, we can bring to them at least what's the cost um, associated with serving a call and what would be the incremental cost for servicing more calls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Now that's something that uh, I need to add, and, and uh, that has to do with the cost aspect of it. So thank you for adding that, Adam. Good. Uh, Sean, do we have any others, or should we take uh, a question from the uh, the survey? Uh, why don't we take a question from the survey? Okay. Well, one of the uh, questions from the survey, actually, there are a couple of them. Where uh, here, for example, what is the standard indus uh, industry standard for the tolling industry? And I think it's probably toll road industry. Who sets the goals, and what are the reasons or logic behind this goal, and why are they not published yearly for all to access? <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, okay, let's uh, let's get some information here, and actually, uh, that that's what our our benchmarking tries to do, um, as I think most of the people on the phone know. And that is that uh, by sharing your metrics with the uh, Purdue database, you're able to get a report that shows uh, your information next to side by side with the average for your industry, and um, so that is a, a way of actually seeing what the uh, service level and other metrics are uh, in your industry, uh, you know, and compare it to yourself, figure out what your delta is. Is your performance better or is it worse than uh, the industry as a whole? And, and from that, you'll be able to make intelligent decisions about you know, what you should be doing going forward as part of the overall mix. In other words, your competitive position, knowing whether you're doing better 
or worse than, uh, than your industry as a whole uh, is an important thing to know. Uh, those of you, by the way, who participated in our one-minute survey will be getting the results very shortly. And uh, what we found is that uh, those people, who, they're, they're about 43% of all those who took the survey don't know how they compare uh, to their industry peers in ASA. And they can easily find that out by, through benchmarking, actually. And of the remainder, 32% said that their ASA was uh, lower or better than their industry peers, while 13.8% uh, said that they knew what their ASA was and it was actually slower than their industry peers. Um, anything you wanted to add with regard to that, Adam? You've had a chance just to take a look at this information as well. Well, I've uh, I've gone through um, a couple times in my career that benchmarking um, exercise, and it is enlightening to say the least. I think previous to that, I've relied on what um, maybe the people that I've come in contact in my industry with, and so that's good information. But of course, that's a very limited sample size, and working with benchmark portals and going through this is a very simple exercise. But the information that is gleaned from that is. Uh, huge and certainly can be added to other information to really help uh, the organization decide on, on uh, the current targets if they're adequate or if they need to be modified. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Um, let's see, Sean, I think you have one more and uh, then we're coming to the bottom of the hour, I think. Uh, yes, uh, Jamie asked, um, how should we take into account hold message information redirecting callers to website options as opposed to waiting for an agent uh, into the metrics. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's still part of the time on hold. So if I've understood the question properly, that would be uh, after you've gone through the, well, you do have to get through the initial um, IVR, but then if there are messages during the course of the hold in which they say, by the way, Instead of sitting on the telephone, you could go to our website, www.etcetera.com. I would consider that part of the whole time. Uh, and we would consider that as part of the whole time in terms of uh, uh, Benchmark Portal. Uh, Adam, do you have any other thoughts on that? No, I would agree with that. I think the one thing to think about um, when we're working with our telecom group is do we play that message um, completely or is it something that's interruptible when somebody becomes available? Um, that may uh, just impact how we set up the message. But yes, if we're playing that and making everybody sit through that, then that is part of the whole time and should impact our overall average speed of answer or service level results. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, by the way, just before we turn it back over to Sean, uh, just to know how people came in on the question, do you normally achieve your ASA targets, uh, average results over the past 12 months? Almost 79% said they did, and uh, the remainder said they did not. <laughs> right. uh, kind of interesting to, to see that in most cases people are meeting their goals uh, set for whatever reason and, and whatever they might be. Okay, Sean, I think uh, with that I, I'd like to thank uh, Adam, very much for a really informative session here. This has gone like the wind and, and been very meaty. I think we've got some good takeaways for people uh, on this, and uh, hopefully you know, people will have understood that we, we see this as a, um, a, a metric that needs to be analyzed in context uh, and seen in conjunction with other metrics. 
the financial aspect, the operational aspects, and um, you know, managerially being able to uh, do that kind of analysis, put all those pieces together, and then actually suggest something in terms of a change is uh, is very nice and very satisfying and actually a way that you can really add extra value to your organization. So, um, Adam, thanks very much for a really enlightening session. And with Thank that, you, I'd like to, Okay, great. I'd like to turn it back over to Sean. I wanted to thank our co-host today, uh, Adam Sinkowski, uh, for all his great insight uh, in today's show. Thanks for all the questions from participants. Uh, it, it was a really great show. Uh, also, don't forget, you can sign up for our reality check to find out how your uh, ASA compares to others in your industry. And our uh, winner today of the in-depth reality check uh, is uh, Larry. Larry, you emailed in a question. Uh, if you can respond to calltalk.benchmarkportal.com with your uh, contact information, we'll contact you about your uh, report. And the topic for the next show, uh, as voted by uh, listeners, is unlocking the mysteries of email metrics. What are the best practice standards? Um, that show will be uh, aired um, two weeks from today on uh, November 11th. We'll uh, see you at the next show. Thank you very much for uh, uh, your time, and uh, have a great day. <laughs>